Hi, I'm Meredith. Hi, I'm Joseph, and you are listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? It's a podcast for those who don't want to wait any longer. Good morning, Meredith. Hi, how are you today? Good, good morning, Joseph. We've got the giggles this morning. It's really good to see you. I think that anytime we're together, we often get the giggles, which is great. We, we do. We do get the giggles. And we got another giggler together today with us. Our friend Mitch Dickoff is here. Yes. Welcome. Hi, Thank Mitch. Thank you for inviting me. Hi, Meredith and Joseph. Thank you for inviting me into your world. Absolutely. So I want to let our listeners know that Mitch and I have been friends for years. We met in San Miguel de Allende, where Mitch was living for a while and where I continue to live. And we actually see each other a couple times a month because we're in a mastermind together. This is true. So I get to tap into his immense brilliance lots and lots of times throughout the year. And I'm super excited and honored to do that. So thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Can I introduce you formally? Yeah, please. Or informally, either way. <laughs> Listeners, you are lucky to get to know today the founder and president of Idea Champions, which is an innovation consultancy. Mitch is also the author of Storytelling for the Revolution. He's the creator of the newly founded Year of Living Creatively, an online course for anyone wanting to transform their big ideas into reality. He is also a poet, a father, and as he likes to tell us, a dust particle. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when I was reading and preparing this morning, Mitch, I noticed that you likely intentionally included the word big for people who want to explore their big ideas. And I'm wondering if that's true. What about those of us who want to explore our little ideas? Nothing wrong with little ideas. Uh, I'm an equal opportunity facilitator and catalyst. Mm. Small, medium, and large are all good. And when I say big, I don't mean big as to put pressure on people. Like mm. it has to be heroic and a monster. Otherwise, it sucks. But I am encouraging people to go for it. And sometimes mm -hmm. people use the word big as a synonym for um, meaningful, profound, their calling. Uh, it's just code. It's a three-letter code for that which is calling you. And uh, the work I'm doing, especially these days, is all about providing the support and the catalysts and the community for people to go after, for them, what's meaningful. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any big ideas. I don't have any small ideas. I don't know any of it. Well, what would you say to them? I would say uh, I would probably listen for a little while and allow the person to express and elaborate on that uh, phenomenon or that sensibility. Uh, and then I would ask a few questions probably that would likely uh, lead to the person acknowledging that actually they do know what they want to do and there is something calling them. And usually we have a thin veil or sometimes a thick veil that separates us from that calling a uh, little protective device or fear of failure or as your show is all about not giving 
ourselves the permission that we need to give ourselves to follow that which is calling us. And sometimes all it takes is a um, conversation with another person or people to help the person own and identify and, and embrace the fact that there is something calling them. And it's, it's good. It's healthy. Even if they don't know how to do it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it begins by owning the fact that there's something brewing, percolating. And that's what friendship, collaboration, partnership, community is all about. Increasing the odds of all of us tuning into that and mm-hmm. then going for it. Beautiful. So having that community, we talk about that often. It's come up a couple of times in our podcast about having that team for that lifts you up and helps support and bring to life, breathe life into uh, your ideas or your projects. I am curious if you could share with our listeners a few examples of ideas or thoughts that people have come to you with that you've helped them birth whoa well this is a 35 year uh journey mm-hmm. and um how long do we have is this like an eight and <laughs> we don't have 35 years. years but we can work something out <laughs> well uh, uh in in the realm of business which was my first foray into this uh, exploration. Uh, these are large corporations or organizations that wanted to make some magic or get some results. Mm-hmm. The way they measure it is variable. Sometimes they only measure it in terms of money, you know, uh, dollars and cents. Sometimes they want to make a profound difference, like change the way people operate or how they learn or whatever their metric is. So um, tons of successes, which enabled me to play that consulting role for 35 years, which I still do, but uh, secondary to what I'm doing right now, which Joseph referred to as Year of Living Creatively. And in the Year of Living Creatively work, which is really about, let's call them cultural creatives, freelancers, uh, individuals, people that are uh, stepping up to the plate in their life, uh, what I do is create a uh, incubation chamber, you might say, or um, a greenhouse that enables people to take their baby idea and birth it. And I mean, from writing the book you've wanted to write for the last 25 years to launching a theater of only autistic people or a uh, uh, producing an animated film or saving the dead trees in Puerto Rico and uh, taking the hardwoods and providing thousands of jobs for locals and then making that wood available to the rest of us around the planet and so on and so forth. So really my work is about what does it take for an individual to originate, develop and implement an idea? Mm -hmm. Some people refer to as the creative process. Mm -hmm. The creative process is spoken about in vague terms often, like one would say democracy or love or empowerment. These are 
placeholders for something that you need to double click on to find out really what you're talking about. And so uh, my work is help, helping people really get their sea legs and their GPS together around their creative process. And mm -hmm. by the way, <laughs> have, find the courage yeah. to proceed because it's, you know, what, what I've noticed over the years is there's a little bit of an addiction and a mythology around creativity. And that is that one's muse mm -hmm. always has to be present. And while it's beautiful and empowering and, and sacred to contact your muse, the muse sometimes is in the background or subtle or isn't always front and center. The real work of manifesting an idea into reality requires that even when the muse is not visible, you are showing up mm -hmm. and doing the work. That is so true. I absolutely agree with that. And in explaining your work, Mitch, it reminds me again that you are a master at asking questions mm -hmm. for your clients and in your consultancy. And this is a two part question for you. One, how did you come to be the type of person that loves to ask people questions? And two, is there something that we the listener can do to start asking ourselves questions about yeah, some great. of our own ideas and our own dreams. What a great question. About <laughs> um, I would say that this uh, acknowledgement of the power of asking questions and then the ability to ask the right question at the right time and in the right way uh, was developed over time. So when I first started my work, I was less tuned into that uh, in time with experimenting with a lot of techniques and methods and processes to elicit individual and group genius. I discovered that one of the most powerful immediate ways to do it was to ask a powerful question, not to prescribe, not to tell, uh, not to play the expert role, which a lot of people would actually love for me to play because they come as a passive student and it's like oh well you know you have all you've written these books you know all this stuff tell me what to do and many consultants or coaches get into that mode and that's not where i'm coming from because in many ways that's very disempowering that would be called in the vernacular the sage on the stage i'm more of the guide on the side because ultimately it's about empowering people and people need to be able to empower themselves, not look to a third party, whether it's the therapist, the significant other, the coach or whatever, as the Maha, you know, catalyst, but to find the Maha catalyst inside ourselves and anybody who does this work. And I include the two of you, because I know you do this work. It's about helping people embrace that quality of themselves so they could ask themselves those big questions and then beyond asking them that's like i gave it the office i asked the question but the time it takes to reflect ponder muse contemplate especially these days is in short supply mm -hmm. so one of the 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 correlative to what joseph is asking about the question is how to also increase the odds of the people who are either asking themselves or being asked the question 
to pause and let it bubble and wrestle with it or be uncomfortable with it, let it percolate, sometime for days or weeks. It's not going to be instant. It's not like Googling the answer. Many great inventions, many great breakthroughs, if you look throughout history, came to the inventor or the innovator after sometimes years of struggle and, and uh, blind alleys. I think 10,000 that... filaments, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Meredith. Well, I think, you know, something that's been up for me lately has been appreciating process and just noticing how the world we surround ourselves, especially during this pandemic where a lot of us are going to the internet, we're searching YouTube, we're doing these things. And I'm, you know, for me, I noticed that people want quick fixes, but there's so much gold when you can answer your own question and when you can find out what tools work for you, because okay. like meditation, for example, right? There's, there's many ways one can meditate. There's no one right way to meditate. And if I told you this was the right way to meditate and you sat down to meditate and you're like, this doesn't feel good. This, I, I don't like this isn't doing anything for me. That's it. We're doing a disservice. So I'm hearing you say it's a process to find what works for you and to answer your own questions, which is huge. Totally. And I think maybe the, the best uh, model that I've come up with, or not, I haven't invented, but have discovered, is uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's mm. journey model. Yes. Which I have studied and, and learned from a lot over the last few years, especially. And he was able, by uh, deconstructing the myths and legends of so many cultures, their stories and myths, discover at the root of them, it's the same story. The hero or the heroine uh, is called, usually uh, preceded by a disruption in their life, some trauma, difficulty, or breakthrough, like a dream or a revelation, or the loss of a relationship or the house burning down. All bets are off, the status quo is over, and now a whole new day is before you. What do we do in that moment? And this gets back to the name of your podcast, which I love, by the way, because classically or typically when a person is called, the next thing that usually follows the calling is drumroll, resistance. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to. Do I have to? This is too hard. Can it be the way it was? Let's go to the let's go back to the normal, like like the normal is ever going to happen again. So process, yes, it's a journey. Exactly. And I want to just back up for a moment because there was an analogy that you use that I think is so prevalent for me and for our listeners, and that is we expect that our answers to our questions are going to come as easily as they do to Google. <laughs> and we're going to ask, what's my life purpose? What should I be doing with my life? Should I marry him or her? Da, da, da. All those questions, those big questions and even the small ones, yeah. we expect that those answers are going to come to us in a fraction of a second because that's what we're used to, right? Yeah, that's right. And more so, Joseph, right on. And, and these days with technology being so omnipresent and uh, 
a request for an answer receivable apparently in three seconds by googling something we equate the time and if it go, if it takes five seconds that's way too long mm -hmm. but one of the aspects or the classical stages of the creative process is something called incubation which is that slow boil the why farmers let certain fields lay fallow mm. they don't plant that field and of course the commerce you know uh, money count money uh, counters go you're wasting precious land and the farmer knows if i plant every season in that field i will leach all the nutrients out of the soil and nothing will grow so sometimes you just got to let it be that would be called incubation and I think these days, that's a challenge for people. It's a huge challenge for people. And I also think, too, the, the, uh, there's a resistance to, per what am I trying to say? I feel like people strive for perfection. And if something's not perfect, they don't put it out into the world. And so they don't get to see where the hiccups are, or what needs to be added, or where the questions live. Uh, and so sometimes people stop because it's not perfect. Oh boy, you just got a big one, Meredith. That's like a master crunchy challenge for a lot of people. The um, phenomenon of perfectionism, mm -hmm. which is a real um, detractor to creativity. Yes. Everyone wants it to be perfect. And because we want it to be perfect, we either go back to what we know and we hesitate to experiment because experiments are rough and mm -hmm. raw and likely not to not to be perfect. But if you really look at the history of anybody who's ever innovated, they made a lot of experiments. You know, Miles Davis's great quote, uh, I'll play it first and tell you what it is later. Mm -hmm you know, or the yes. classic one of, of Edison, which I think you've already noted in some of your podcasts, when asked how he, how it felt to fail 10,000 times to come up with the filament for the light bulb, which was tungsten. He said, I didn't fail once. I learned 10,000 times what didn't work. Mm. Now that's the mindset of an innovator. Most of us, if we flop four times, we're in the refrigerator getting the Hagen dazs you know, <laughs> and and turning on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can I? I mean, put I you still on the turn spot? on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was a second part to the question, Mitch, and I think that it might be important for our listeners. Yeah, that are there questions that we could be asking ourselves? in order to have patience with the process, in order to expand our horizons, in order to be okay with failure? Are there questions that we can be asking ourselves? Yes, there are, Joseph, and I'm gonna take a risk here and ask you to tell Meredith and I what those questions might be. <clears throat> well, the first one that comes to mind, thanks for that, is what do I value? <laughs> As a human being, what is it that I value? Do yeah. I value being of service? Do I value having more free time with my family? Do I value my health? Do I value being able to openly express my love? And I think that once we connect with our values, we can more easily and meaningfully connect to what's important. Meredith, your turn. 
Amen. I would agree with the values. That would be number one. I would also say those that I'm choosing to collaborate with and those institutions or organizations that I'm choosing to, to collaborate with, are they in alignment with those values? Mm -hmm. So that would be the second, the second question that I would ask myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mitch, your turn. And then uh, I have another one. I've got a few. Uh, who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? How can I serve? How can I contribute to the lives of others? Um, what's calling me? And what's my next step? Those are, so those are some juicy ones that I ask myself and ask the people I work with uh, to open the floodgates. And those do take some percolating, as you said. Those are not Google answers. <laughs> no, and they can be confronting. You know, when, when you ask those kind of existentially Spartan questions, it's not like about where can I get a cappuccino today or how can I, uh, you know, get a lower rent? Those are kind of interesting maybe, but there are some real core elemental questions that uh, open the floodgates. And I, I think, too, I just want to add to that, that those questions that we answer for ourselves, that we percolate with, they can change. And that's OK. Oh, totally. Our values can change. Who we choose to be in alignment with can change. And uh, I think that is important to note, because I think some people feel that they have to hang on to these oh, things oh, with both I, hands very tight. That, thank you for that, Meredith. Totally mm -hmm. true. And sometimes day to day or hour to hour not just year to year, decade to decade. Now, I want to just make one little uh, elaboration or mm -hmm. add an elaboration to this. This is a fascinating discovery of mine that I keep learning from. I keep thinking I know this and I keep getting another layer of depth of how much I don't know about this. And it's about questions. In the, in the course that I teach, the Year of Living Creatively, the pre-work, like the ticket in, the cover charge, if you will, is for people to frame a question that begins with the words, how can I, and ends with a by when date. So you could call it the problem statement, the goal. I call it a how can I question. Hmm. And I have a little process, you know, a little poking, prodding, tweaking, massaging process to make it easier for people to come up with it. And yet I'd say 80% of the time, people come up with very vague, mushy, secondary, not so compelling, how can I questions? There's something about getting your arms around, what do I really wanna do mm. that creates a little bifurcation in people. And whether it's a, a kind of a psychological writing reaction where we try to protect ourselves from our imagination that we're gonna fail, if I actually define and name what I want, so I guess what, I won't define and name what I want, so I won't fail. Mm -hmm. My role, one of my roles in the process is to listen <laughs> and to engage with that person to see if we can uncover 
like what's hiding under the, the veil or the nebulosity, if that's a word, of their first question. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mitch, I am also curious about those people who, when they want to name their what I really want statements, that there's sometimes this element of what I really want, I don't want it to piss off <laughs> my spouse or my boss or my children, right? Because when we want to name what we want, sometimes people may not be happy with us taking a sabbatical to London or oh whatever God. it is. Well, right? thank you, Joseph. That is, that's the advanced course, what you just named, because none of us are innovating in a vacuum. We're all part of a matrix or a fabric of society culture, tribe, a family, community. And it's often the case that that matrix that surrounds us or that we're part of isn't always necessarily supportive of what we're trying to do. What, we're, what we've declared may be threatening to your spouse, to your friend, to your mother, your father, your children, your boss, whatever. You are shaking the, you know, the, the status quo. You're upsetting the apple cart. There is a process with like one of the one of the methods in the year of living creatively is something which I call self inquiry pages where people get to reflect on certain aspects of the creative process on their own time but I just kind of ask them some questions they can fill in the blanks one of them Joseph is exactly what you're talking about it's called um, something like dealing with your significant other fracture or nurture mm. So when you're living in a home, not an insane asylum home, but your, your home. <laughs> oh, thank you for clarifying Sometimes that. Sometimes you can't tell the difference in my house, just kidding. <laughs> Mine too. Um, for people whose significant other uh, may not be as nurturing, supportive, helpful as they could be, how does the one, in this case, Joseph, Meredith, or Mitch, how do we engage with that person such that we can diffuse some of those negative energies that we end up then becoming involved in some kind of soap opera and it depletes us? It's a slow leak in the bucket. Uh, you can't ignore it. Uh, you got to address it somehow. And there are ways to do that that work and they're simple, but it's a biggie. None of us are inventing or creating on our own. We're in this, we're part of civilization. Well, I'm, I'm curious about that, Mitch. So do you have a, a step that one could take if say they, they have this idea, it's a, it's a, they know their purpose. Is there a way into having those hard conversations with the people that you love is there it, so i guess my question is do you need to be really clear about what your want is before you start enter into that conversation yes. what do you need what are the tools you need to have before you enter in well what a great question the answer is yes you need to know what you want or what you're creating you need to know what you need not only what you want but what you need because let, let's say, for example, I'm a writer and writer, writers need solitude. They need alone time. They need privacy. 
But when writers are married or living with a spouse or a significant other, sometimes the significant other can perceive uh, the writer's solitude as avoiding them or rejecting them or your work is more important than us. Of course, these are normal reactions. We all have them. And my experience of it is in sharing my vision of what I'm trying to create, why it's meaningful to me, how it's going to serve humanity or my community, and um, what I'm asking my significant other for to be direct. I need X or can you provide Y? And um, if I get out of balance, give me feedback. You know, I mean, we're, we're in this together. But if we don't mention it, if you just disappear into your studio or your room, the other person is left going, where is he? Where is she? I never see them anymore. It's all about their project. Oh, I can relate to that. I'm married to a creative, he's a composer, and I will say early on in our marriage and when children came along, oh boy, if I didn't know what specifically he was in that studio <laughs> doing, what project he was working on, I, there were times where, uh, but we've gotten very clear. So I, and I, so that's why I feel like that, that question is so important is that we've gotten clear. We're good at saying, hey, I need, I need my hour of creativity time because I'm working on X. And then you can say, yes, a hundred percent. So then how can we take care of these other components in our household so that we're all getting our needs met? Bingo. It's super you know, it's important. A, it's a little bit like the rules of the road when you're driving and you're going to make a left turn. It's good to put on your left hand indicator mm -hmm. turning left. Now that's courteous and helpful to the person behind you. So that maybe they don't hit up against your, your back of your car. So signaling, to yes. your community, to your spouse, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids, or whatever. It's healthy, but often not done or not done well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about the word deservedness. Mm. So say that writer wants to go to their studio and write for a few hours. In addition to being clear, I think that she, he, me, also needs to have a sense of I deserve oh my God. take a few hours out of my life, out of my relationship, out of my marriage and go and and be in the messy middle. I know you've talked about the messy middle a lot because sometimes we think that if we're not producing the next great novel, if we're just there staring at a blank page, that that's not good enough. We should be with our family instead of sharing, staring at a blank page. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That, 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 this is why therapists are have full client loads. Um, <laughs> you know, we carry this kind of primal guilt with us for the not good enough syndrome, mm -hmm. or I don't have permission syndrome, which is I know mm -hmm. the theme of the podcast. And even when we finally get to the level of I do deserve it, I'm I I I love myself, I I feel inspired, I I'm going to do this. There's a little doubting Thomas that's looking over its right or left shoulder and going, uh, am I still, does people still love me? Mm -hmm. Am I letting in, anyone down? Is this self-indulgent of me? Have I gone over a certain edge? And even that thought becomes a slow leak that makes it harder to access 
the muse or the creative fire because you're bifurcated. You're both right. trying to write your thing or produce your whatever, compose your this. The other part of your mind is going, I hope I'm not letting my mother down or my husband down. Like, come on, snap out of it. Well, I'm curious for you, if you don't mind me getting a little bit personal, can you share with me and our listeners and Joseph here, uh, <laughs> what what was it that gave, how did you give yourself permission to transition into the work that you do? Well, it was easy for me because mm -hmm. I was overwhelmed by inspiration. Uh, I was lit from the inside. I was hmm. on fire and it wasn't even like I was rubbing two stones together to create a spark. Something very profound in me was ignited uh, and has continued to be ignited. So it, it wasn't that difficult for me to give myself permission because that's sort of like my default position mm -hmm. that and I know it's I mean, sometimes it wavers. I'm not always there. And I know that's not always the default condition for everybody. Right. Um, especially, you know, with survival and this and responsibilities and so forth. So I just followed the yellow brick road or what Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. And also the other piece to that Meredith is having enough positive experiences or feedback or proof that when I do follow that ignited fire in me, it leads to good things. So I don't doubt myself very much. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said is following the positive things that have happened. Uh, those weren't your exact words, but I want to just, just reemphasize that to listeners is to just Notice what you notice. And I've said that before, that Allen Ginsberg quote of notice what you notice is really important. When you put something out into the universe, how does it how does it feel? How has it served? And what are we getting back from that experience? Beautiful. Hmm. Can I add to that? Yes. And when it's not perfect, what are we noticing about what are we telling ourselves about mm -hmm. our capabilities, about our personality, about our community, about all of that? Because that story, right, that can really affect how we proceed. Yeah. Do we put ourselves out there again? Do we be vulnerable again if we're telling ourselves, oh, my God, I am just a piece of crap and nobody likes me? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you guys are dealing with like the major elements of life. Uh, on this podcast. Congratulations. Um, I want to just start with Meredith and then go to Joseph because you're both what you just said are facets of this diamond that we're polishing. Mm -hmm. In the course I teach and in the work I do with people, one of the great enablers of creativity is self-acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. Not just acknowledging others, but acknowledging oneself. We, and I'm talking about humanity, have a tendency to look at the cup as half empty. And we are making progress. We are moving forward. But often the mind, that, that inner critic, is only looking at what hasn't been done. Oh, you haven't won an Oscar yet. Or you haven't made a million dollars. Oh, you haven't won the Nobel Prize. You're a piece of crap. When we have 
the Year of Living Creatively Zoom calls, which are every other week. The community comes together, uh, who's ever in the course, and I always start with the same basic drill, an opportunity for people to acknowledge the progress they've made since our last call, however small it was or is or medium or large. And it's fascinating how difficult it is for people to acknowledge themselves. And even with that instruction, they use that time to start talking about everything they haven't done. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I have to intercede because, you know, I have their permission to play my facilitative role. And I go, uh, hey, Ed, uh, one moment, please, kind sir. Remember the question is, this is a chance to acknowledge your progress, not what you haven't done. So what do you want to acknowledge yourself? He goes, oh, thanks. Oh, I, oh, oh okay. But we're like habituated to like look at the dark side. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the first piece. And then Joseph, the second one about the stories we tell ourselves. And this is huge. A lot of us have a negative mantra or an old story, uh, the story of scarcity or lack or struggle or victimhood. And we keep playing that story out again and again and again, no matter what our how can I question is. So to tell a new story and not just to tell it, but to embody it, to really live it, then you can tell it. You can't, if you tell it and don't embody it, it's gonna be fiction, you won't believe it and you'll keep going back to your old patterns. So a lot of it is telling a new story. Mm. So is there one action step, even if it's tiny, Mitch, one action step that you could share with our listeners for the collective we to start on our own hero's journey? Yeah, absolutely. The simplest thing to do, and it gets back to something we spoke about earlier in the call, unplug for some amount of time. It could be 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour a little bit of a stretch beyond your comfort zone. And with a, a pen and a piece of paper, not a computer, hand, hand to eye, you know, actually, look, I can do this. Um, jot down some how can I questions. And don't worry about it being perfect, as Meredith said. It's not about getting the perfect question, just like the morning pages, you know, like mm -hmm. let it rip. What is my real passion? What is my project? What is my what is calling me? And and frame it as a question. And maybe you get three, maybe you get 10. And then just let it sit, let it brew. If one of them bubbles up and you go, that's the one circle it. Mm. <laughs> that's the beginning. I love that. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Where can people find and follow and connect with you, Mitch? Uh, they can go to, uh, I've got two websites, uh, ideachampions.com, and they can go also to mitchditkoff.com. That's with a K, not a C. Um, and then uh, the course that I'm teaching these days called Year of Living Creatively, uh, I can send you a link or I don't know. Please do. We'll put it in our uh, yeah. our notes. Yes. I'll just send you a link. And that that's probably the simplest, fastest way to people to tune into what we've been talking about. Mm. Well, I want to say it has been such an honor to meet you, Mitch, and to have this, this conversation. So thank you so much. 
And thank you, Meredith. I, I appreciate the invitation. Very thank you for all the work that you are doing to inspire us and keep us inspired, brother. I adore you and thank you, thank you. Thank you, Joseph. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> Big hug. Okay, guys. We want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please leave a comment, subscribe, pass the word, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. We also want to give a special shout out to Amy Shelley and Gary Grundy of High Fiction for letting us use their music in this episode. And we sure hope you will join us next week when we have a delightful conversation with wellness expert Sumana Jetty. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye.